Hello, listeners. I guess this is a bit of a preamble to the epilogue, but given how most podcast subscriptions work, this may be the first thing you hear when introduced to us. If you are new, welcome. This, our first podcast series, is intended for parents or guardians of new drivers. We really recommend that you go back to episode number one and start from there. Hopefully, you'll find all the episodes useful, but don't be afraid to seek out specific topics that will help you teach your new driver how to stay safe. Also, whether this is your first episode or you've been with us since the beginning, we would love your financial support. If you visit driveincontrol.org slash podcast, you'll find a tool where you can make an online tax-deductible donation as low as a dollar to help us cover the cost to create, produce, and distribute. And now, on with your regularly scheduled broadcast. Thank you. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan with the In Control Family Foundation, and I have Jeremy Randall with me. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Dan. Hello, everyone. And Jeremy is our Director of Operations. Welcome to the epilogue of our podcast focusing on parents training their teens to be the safest driver they can be. I want to take a couple minutes just to say to those that are hearing this particular podcast for the first time, we would really appreciate it if you would go back and start with the first podcast. Uh, this is not necessarily something that we're going to continue in this this uh, parent guide format uh, going forward because uh, I'm sure we could potentially have some updates in the future. But we really think you want to go back and listen to the first one. And there's a good 28 different episodes, 15 to 25 minutes long or so, that should help you become a better parent driver trainer. You know, you're not expected to be an expert instructor, but you, I think you could become a better parent driver trainer if you listen to this podcast from the beginning. And for those of you who finished and listened to us and happen to be catching this one, it'd be great if you could rate it for us. Five, six stars, whatever your uh, particular program allows you to do. But if you can rate it and tell others about it, particularly parents, both Jeremy and I have had the opportunity to promote this program to friends, family, graduates, so that the future kids could be better, graduates so that their own children could be better. Because once you get that license, it doesn't necessarily mean you're all of a sudden an expert and uh, everybody can sort of benefit from this. Jeremy, anything you'd add? No, I mean, that's pretty good. It's just the, the more people that hear this, the, the safer our roads will end up being. So today our goal is to take care of a few housekeeping items, answer some listener questions that have come in, and then try to put a bow on this and wrap up the podcast for this particular subject matter. I want to take another quick minute to thank the guests we had on. Uh, Emily Stein from Safe Roads, John Paul from AAA, Stacy Boutel from Walk Boston. Stacy, sorry, I have no idea if I'm ever going to pronounce your name correctly or not. Uh, Mike Kane from In Control. Bella and Jake from me, I guess. And last and least, Jeff Larson from the Executive Office of Public Safety and Security. I do love Jeff, and he's fun to tease. So with that, the elephant in the room is that we're still in the middle of this whole COVID-19 issue, and there are some things that we want people to think about related to being a better safe driver, particularly with new drivers, and driver education even, and how COVID has impacted that. So the first thing that we are seeing is more online classes. Everyone that I've spoken to is getting more used to online classes 
but doesn't necessarily feel like the learning is better. And that may change, and I hope it does. But classes that were taught in person for traditional driver's ed are now in the state of Massachusetts taking place online. And that may be a temporary thing. It was uh, set up as a temporary thing initially, but we do have students going through 30 hours of Zoom calls as opposed to 30 hours of in-person. And the parent class, for that matter, is being done through uh, webinars. The other thing Jeremy and I were just talking about, and then Jeremy, maybe I'll let you explain it a little bit more, is there is less time for our teens behind the wheel today than maybe there was before the pandemic. Yeah, you know, it's uh, the reality is whether it's uh, driver's ed schools or, or even Austin in control, uh, with the COVID restrictions, we have limited ability to have people in the car, which certainly makes sense given what's going on. But because of that, it's a lot harder to give students the exact same experience without really kind of cutting into the bottom line. And now at in control, we've just cut it into the bottom line and haven't cut the student time out at all. And even the best of the driver's ed schools, the margins are already so low, it's very, very hard for them to be able to give students their full two-hour block of driving time because what they used to do was drive to pick the next student up, and then the next student would start driving and drive that other student back home potentially. So now with one person in the car, the first student gets dropped off, the instructor drives to pick the next person up, and so you're losing a little bit of time depending on how far those two uh, students tend to live from each other. So little things like that are starting to cut into that time a little bit, and it's just something we want to be aware of and understand that if that's happening, it's, I guess, somewhat out of necessity. It's not the driver's ed school's fault exactly. But as parents, we might need to make up some of that time. Um, we need to be training our young drivers with more time than we ever have before. Because given the online learning, given maybe a little bit less time in the car, potentially, the more we can do and we can take responsibility for our own young drivers then the safer they're going to be for the rest of their lives driving. Jeremy, I think you, you hit it spot on. Now more than ever, the parents have a greater responsibility than maybe they appreciated. The only other add-on I would say is that there are some driving schools that are requiring the teams wear rubber gloves or disposable gloves. And we actually experimented with that early on. In an emergency situation, uh, they're a little slick. It's a little more difficult to control the wheel. We don't recommend them. It's not required in the state of Massachusetts. People just thought it was a better idea Stick with hand sanitizer. I know I'm not a COVID expert, but I understand there's a lot less concern with transferring through touch. But but the bottom line is, I don't want you to get hurt in a crash because you had gloves on and you weren't able to hold onto the wheel. And then finally, the, the behavior on our roads, there's two aspects to this. There's in the beginning of the pandemic, we found a lot more crashes that were deadly because people were driving insanely. Honestly, there were speeds, people were self-medicating, people were uh, suffering from anxiety, whatever it was that was causing them to do things that they might not have done on our roads normally. And with the lack of traffic, they were getting up to higher speeds and just some of the crashes were horrific. And we actually lost twice as many people on our roads uh, with far less traffic than we normally do. There's still a high crash rate today, but the behavior is not just people trying to, you know, the, the traffic has picked up a little bit. So it's not necessarily just high speeds, but we also have this issue of people haven't driven for a while. 
And so they're, they're literally people who parked their cars and then went to go start them, you know, a couple months into the pandemic and the batteries were dead. Or they, I, I personally, for a couple of months, uh, you know, a vehicle that traditionally needed at least a tank of gas a week went a few months without me having to fill the tank because I wasn't going anywhere. So the lack of driving experience for people who weren't great drivers to begin with and now went a couple months without driving is a problem on our roads. And it's something to be cognizant of in the world of COVID. And Dan, let me just add too. think about some of those new drivers that were just learning or just starting the process at the beginning of this and maybe got their license last January. So right before the whole pandemic started, they may have gotten their license and then really not driven for a number of months. And so they might need a little bit more help. So if you're a parent sort of in that situation, uh, keep that in mind as well, that there's never, it's never too late to go back and not exactly put them back on their permit, but drive with them a lot more. Right. Say, I'd like to go with you or, you know, that sort of thing. And they're going to push back, but continue regardless of the pandemic to check in them from time to time and see how they're actually driving. Right. See, see what skills maybe they're lacking in or, or you taught them to do this, but their friend told them this was okay. And, and now their, their hands are in the wrong place on the wheel, or they sort of forgot that even a couple over the speed limit isn't okay. Right. They're, they start getting in this mentality that maybe a little bit faster. In other words, they're starting to develop potential bad habits. Try to catch that stuff early on. So your job's not done as the parent just because they've gotten their license. Keep that in mind too. So Jeremy, we had put out the word that we were looking for questions in this last podcast from this series. And we do have a few here. I'm going to let you try to run with them and then I'll help fill in the blanks. The first question we received was, how do you pass your road test? What do you say to that? All right. So passing your road test, depending on the state you're in, obviously the test can be drastically different. The best way I can recommend that you pass the road test is to make sure that you go to a good driver's ed school and that you really follow their direction. They're, I I don't mean to downplay it at all. They're trying to do the absolute best they can. They're going to train your driver on how to operate a vehicle. But one of the things they're going to make sure that your driver can do is is pass that test. And so they're going to concentrate on the skills that the the test center closest to you concentrates on. They're going to know what they're looking for. Now, that all being said, that's the best way to pass your road test. But I want to make sure that our goal is not just to pass a very simple road test. In Massachusetts, I know often it's backing up 50 feet to straight line, maybe doing a three-point turn and potentially parallel parking, but not actually between two cars. So that being said, that's not that hard. And it, it isn't super hard to get your license. What's hard is to really be a good driver. And so aim for well beyond passing that road test. All right, aim for being that absolute best driver you possibly can. And that's going to be, you know, taking the lead uh, as the parent, the one who really cares about their their new driver, their young driver, and doing everything you can to make sure they have every skill they need, not just the independent ones on the road test. For the few folks out there who decide against using a traditional driving school, the experience I hear is a lot of students will still fail or will fail their driving test because they weren't prepared for it. So if you have chosen not to use traditional driver's ed, you may want to at least work with them in the state of Massachusetts. You wait till you're 18. You can still take the road test without uh, using a driving school. You might want to still engage with them for a couple hours just to learn how the road test works. If you really are concerned about the the passing side of it, but keep in mind that just because you passed your road test, that doesn't mean you should be out on the roads with the rest of us. Unfortunately. Exactly. The next question we had was, uh, how, you know, would you go about choosing a driving school? 
Oh, okay. Um, so obviously one close by makes a lot of sense, but if there's one a little bit further that you've heard better things about, that might make more sense. So ask friends, ask other parents what their experiences have been. Did they really like it? You know, that, that sort of feedback's really important. And then once you kind of narrow the list down to a couple that might make the most sense for you, call them, talk to the owner, talk to an instructor, talk to somebody there and ask some, some questions about, what to expect, how do they do things, what are some of the the areas in which they concentrate. I, I think just having a conversation with somebody like that, you're going to be able to weed out somebody who's like, oh yeah, we'll get them to pass, no problem, and we can be flexible with time, and if they need to be done a little bit early, that's okay. You want somebody who's going to be sort of be a stickler for you know really holding your young driver's kind of feet to the fire, where they, they're really going to hold them to a high standard. And they act very professional, you know, th- that sort of thing. So that's generally the way I recommend this because it's a pretty common question. It's hard to know just by the name of a driver's ed school. Jeremy's driver's ed school. Great. So- sounds great. But we don't know a whole lot about it just by that name. So even going there, talking to them, participating in a parent night very, very early in the process so that there is time to switch if you don't like what you're hearing. Those are sort of my main recommendations on picking one. But really, other people will give you a good idea of what it was like. And if your young driver's friends have already done the driver's ed, gone through that process, they might be the most honest. So ask them, did they, you know, did they really, what was the education like? Was it interactive? Was it interesting? Were they keeping you guys engaged? That sort of stuff, especially if it ended up being online, because obviously it's, it's easier to tune a Zoom call out than it is when you're standing or sitting, excuse me, in front of somebody talking about driving. The next question we have is, how much experience do you need in order to take our Crash Prevention 101 class? What I normally tell parents, because again, ver- these are very common questions that we get. Our Crash Prevention 101 training course is appropriate for anybody that is ready for their license. So if your driver is on their second lesson and they're just kind of leaving that parking lot, they're not ready for us. All right, you need to be ready to actually go for that license test and ready to, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even say that, not even just ready for your license test, but ready to really be a driver on the road with everybody else, that you feel confident in their ability to react, uh, react properly, they feel pretty confident behind the wheel, you're starting to make maybe longer trips, because the first thing we're going to do is prepare them for the first time something goes wrong. So our very first drill is an emergency braking drill. And so we're going to utilize the ABS braking system. And you can always go back to our previous, uh, our previous podcast if you're, if you're wondering what that means. But utilizing that ABS system really effectively to get the car stopped in the shortest distance. That's simply drill number one. It goes on quite a bit after that. And, th- and there's a lot of different things we look at. But they need to be ready to really become a licensed driver and a safe driver to be able to take our course. When people come a little bit too early, it can slow the class down a bit and make it harder for everybody else to stay on task. And often that person won't pass. Now, what's nice about not passing our class, you just come back again when you have a little bit more experience and and you'll get a little bit more time in the exact same drills and you don't pay again. We're going to, once you come and take our class, we're going to get you to a point where you're able to pass. You can keep coming and doing the drills until you really feel confident because we need you to be ready for something to go wrong on the road because at some point, in the next X amount of years that you're going to be driving for your young driver, something will go wrong and they're going to need to be able to handle it with confidence. And Jeremy, the only thing I guess I would add is occasionally we'll hear from a family where they have a more aggressive driver. Maybe this driver was somebody who was into go-karting or ATVs or 
just generally has been more active in vehicle operation in their life. And now that they're suddenly on the roads, they're driving as though it's a racetrack or, or something along those lines. And I, I do think one of the skills, one of the, the benefits of our program is that it will instill some behavioral changes. You know, I like to refer to it as chiseling, chiseling away at invincibility. And I think that we can be helpful there, particularly for somebody who's a little bit more confident than we want them to be out on the roads. I think that the beauty of our program is that we bring everybody to sort of a center point. So you also get those extremely nervous, very, very timid drivers. But if they're ready to get their license, it's okay for them to come see us because what we do is we can take it a little bit slower. A lot of our training is one-on-one. So it's just the, the student driving and, and me or one of my instructors in the passenger seat. If they're very nervous, it's the very first question I ask, how are you feeling about this first drill? And you know, if they are nervous, we go a little slower and I really give them a lot of confidence that they're going to do great. And then they do great. Uh, and it really builds people up. And for the overconfident driver, we can sort of play that a little bit differently. I can say, oh, okay, man, you got it. Great. Let's do it. And we go down there and they almost always struggle. I'll give them a little bit less direction, potentially. It's a safe environment though. And they make more mistakes and they can learn from those. So what we end up doing is bringing everybody to this kind of kind of center point of understanding that driving is very dangerous and we have to respect it. We need to keep the speeds down. But if something does go wrong, I know I can handle it as long as I'm set up properly. I'm going the right speed. I've adjusted to the the type of vehicle I'm in. All these different variables that we discussed throughout the day, they learn to respect the entire situation that's that's occurring as they're driving and really making them respect that process a lot more. Jeremy, last question. We had a couple of these wanting to know, how do we train for driving in the snow? All right. So all of the techniques and really everything we talk about in class applies to different road conditions. So if you were to come on a beautiful August day and train with us, a lot of what we're talking about discussing and learning actually applies to the snow as well. And we always talk about snow regardless of the time of year. So even just our normal class can help with the snow. You know, we just talk about how how we reduce our speed and we we try to drive as smooth as we possibly can. Asking less of the car will often give us more control. All that sort of stuff's important. But what's nice is we are training in New England. So in the winter, we have snow. And if we don't already have a regular CP101, Crash Prevention 101 class scheduled, then we're often able to add what we call a snow class. So in a snow class, we don't plow the lot. We leave it like an untreated road surface. And you can sometimes you can use your own vehicle or you can use our vehicle, or you can switch between them. And we'll also use, with our vehicles, we'll have one with brand new all-season tires and another car that's exactly the same with brand new winter tires. And we'll let you see the difference between those two. And we heavily push winter tires in the winter in New England. We we let you see the difference between those and how much of a difference they can make. And we learn a little bit more about that car control and, and how much slower we really need to drive when there's actual covering on the road surface. You know, regardless of conditions, we offer uh, a number of different types of courses. So CP101 is our most popular. It's the state certified program. It's where we want everybody to start. But we offer what we call close quarters maneuvering, which deals a lot with very tight spaces, a lot with parking. In most states, driver's ed really teaches looking over your shoulder for going in reverse. And so we sort of leave that alone and say, oh, okay, but we also have mirrors. Let's learn how to utilize those mirrors really, really well. And students really love that. We had a class yesterday, in fact, and uh, it was actually with ambulances. We do a lot of commercial training as well. And the ambulance drivers that are used to backing these things up into very tight emergency room bays, things like that, 
were telling me, I never really learned how to use my mirrors properly. This is awesome. This is so helpful to learn about the pivot point of the vehicle in reverse, that it's different in the forward gear. I don't want to get too technical, but there's a lot that a young driver can learn that maybe they didn't pick up in driver's ed that can be that much more helpful. When do I use looking over my shoulder versus my mirrors versus my rear view mirror versus my backup camera? Like when are those each appropriate to use and why? And then we have classes, well, as I mentioned, specifically for commercial applications, law enforcement classes, where we do really teach police officers who have a really the most dangerous thing they even do is often drive a, drive their vehicles. We're training police, fire, ambulance. We're training people that drive box trucks or really anything commercially, even just a regular sedan. We offer training for trailers, believe it or not. So if you got a boat this or an RV this year, which was extremely popular, and maybe you need a little lesson on that, we do trailer training. And really anything driving related, give us a call. If it's something you're like, I wonder if they do this, give us a call and ask. Because we've done all types of very specific one-off training programs as well. And Jeremy, we had a, a couple of conversations about, you know, are we doing a disservice in the podcast by not really stressing our training? I'll let you talk to that a little bit. But before that, you know, in, in general, we're, we're a 501c3. We're, we operate on the mission to reduce crashes. And our hands-on closed course training is a big piece of what we do. We also do hands-on programs where we can travel the state and, and offer these programs in your community. And these things do cost money. So your support through either training with us, making donations, inviting us to speak and, and, and buying a gift certificate and awarding it to somebody who's in the audience, something along those lines. Those are all incredibly important. Your, your point there with all the different types of commercial training we do. Our passion is to work with young drivers, but the reality is they're available on the weekends and maybe sometimes in the afternoon, but our Monday through Friday, we want to try to help out other businesses. Everyone crashes. Unfortunately, everyone crashes too much. So if you don't have a trucking company or trailers in your your fleet or even just a number of people that drive, but you want to do some sort of team building exercise with your office you'd be surprised how impressed people are with this program, how happy they are that it was introduced to them by you, their boss, or you, their department head, or whatever role you play in this. If you're just the person responsible for putting together next year's holiday party, you'd be surprised how many people have done that with us and had really good experiences. Well, and Dan, even talking about how you know so many people think that if they're not right here in Massachusetts or, or you know the town over from our training site, that probably it's just too far. It's not worth it. We've trained people from, I think it's, it's almost, it's over 20 countries now. And uh, just about every single state in the United States. Two months ago, a woman and, da- and her daughter from Utah came to class. And when I, in the beginning of class, I'm, obvious, I'm often talking with the group and anybody coming from over an hour away, over two hours away. And somebody kept their hand up. I'm like, just tell me where you're from. She said, oh, we, we flew in from Utah. Flights are real cheap right now. My daughter crashed three times in the last year. I'm just done with it. And we looked you guys up and you you guys had the best rating. So we came and they were staying in a hotel. They were going to try to go to a museum if it was going to be open. And they were going to go home that evening. And I was like, that's awesome, guys. And she said it was worth every single cent when she was walking out. And it's that sort of thing that really reminds me that, you know, we, we've been so reluctant during this podcast to kind of push our program hard. But that it's sometimes it's worth pushing really hard. It, you're not going to be disappointed that you took it, regardless of where you are in the country. We've had people um, that took our class, 
maybe commercially, maybe their job had them fly out from Texas and do it. And they said, do you guys do this for just the public? And yeah, they're like, we're going to take a trip out here with my family and visit Boston this summer. And we're going to do the training. I'm making my kids take it and I'm making my wife take it. We're all going to do it again. I'm going to take it again. And this stuff, it, it sounds like, oh, I've got to be exaggerating. Come and take it. See for yourself. Look, you know, look up the videos online, look at reviews and decide for yourself. But it, it's never a bad waste of money or time. In closing, I just want to emphasize, as we did in just about every podcast, that most of you listening are not professional driving instructors. Your parents. Being a parent is stressful enough without sitting in the passenger seat, as my daughter put it, and having the tree branches get knocked off by the mirrors in the side of your car. This is a difficult role to play. And we want you to bring your A game. We want you to try to be extremely patient with your kids. If you recognize that this is just something you can't do, you still got to find somebody to do it for you. Hopefully you can find a family member so you're not paying for someone to sit next to your new driver. But the benefit of you being a good instructor for them, a driver trainer for them, is going to pay off for their lifetime. The more experience they get now, the better at it they are before they're out driving on their own exclusively, the safer everyone is going to be. Well, to everyone out there who listened to us, and hopefully you made it through all the episodes with us, for all of you who've joined us, we really appreciate your time. And we will explore some other podcast themes going forward, but I think this wraps up what we were trying to do for Parents of Teens. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you at our training soon. Bye.